0: and welcome to Mummin' It, the podcast where we chat all things parenthood. I'm Harriet Shearsmith and I am indeed mumming it in my way with my three kids, but I want to know what that looks like for other parents. If you like the podcast, don't forget to check out my book also called Mummin' It, available in all good bookshops and online. Hi everyone and welcome back to Mum In It. Today's guest is somebody that I have known probably about as long as I have been blogging and who is just absolutely fantastic. She is host of Not Another Mummy podcast. She is an author to Oh My God It's Twins, which will probably give you a hint as to what we're going to chat about. She is a writer for some wonderful magazines and she is of course Alison Perry. Hi Alison, how are you? Hello Harriet, how are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How's things going?
1: Okay, yeah, we're kind of um, in the countdown to the summer holidays and it just feels like things are winding up at school for my eldest and we're kind of planning in play dates and activities to keep the kids happy over that long summer holiday. That's kind of where I'm at right now. It's funny, isn't it?
0: Because I don't think you ever realise before you have kids, It's quite how much planning goes into having their summer holidays. My mum worked full time all the way through the summer holidays as a single parent. And I honestly look back and think, I have no idea how you did it, just the logistics of it. And then planning in like the play dates, as you say, and the activities to try and stop them from getting bored because the last thing anybody wants. Is a bored kid In the summer holidays The
1: main challenge Is making sure That my 10 year old Just doesn't stay On screens all day You know She would quite happily Have her face Buried in YouTube And Roblox And what have you So what we've kind of Learned to balance Things off You know By doing Is we'll book in One thing Not not every day But most days It'll either be Meeting up with a friend In the park Or we book her in For things like You know Tennis lessons And she might go To the sports Holiday club That the school puts on But just like a few hours of activity and then if she wants to bury her head in her ipad and not reappear for a few hours <laughs> then it's fine it's all about balance isn't it it is completely And she started to get to that
0: point now where she is burying herself and just the anti-socialness because my 10 year old is yeah. very much like he loves his own company and even if it's not playing on his ipad or anything like that he will quite contentedly take himself off upstairs and just
1: play with his toys and honestly forget that he's got everyone else around him he just takes yeah. himself off she does take herself off and in fact just this week she decided that she wanted to dismantle all of her lego sets, so like all the lego friends things that she's collected over the years and organize all of the lego bricks by color so that she can then build anything she wants which is kind of interesting because you know they get into lego like my two youngest ones who are two and a half they're getting really into like the big lego duplo blocks the really big ones yeah and then they progress into you know you know, like the frozen regular Lego sets, and they manage. I remember, I, th- I think my eldest was about five when she got like the Elsa ice palace. Yeah, and she managed to build it all herself on Christmas Aww. day. And now she's getting to the point where she wants to be more creative. She doesn't want to just follow the rules and follow Mm -hmm. like the instructions step by step to create what they're asking her to create. She wants to kind of go off piece and do her own thing. So she'll take herself off and just sit in her room for like an hour listening to music and sorting out Lego into into colour piles. I love that. That's quite a nice little activity for her to be going off and doing, I think. I mean, who doesn't love a bit of Lego? It's quite therapeutic.
0: And my eldest, he's 10, same as yours, and he Is Lego obsessed? Like everything is Lego. Quite similarly, he likes to go off piece. He's very into his Marvel and his Minecraft and that kind of thing. And he'll get the set and he'll build it, and then he'll dismantle it all and build a similar version of it, but whatever's in his imagination. And I love to see it. I think it's so good fun for them. They really enjoy it.
1: We love Lego. Just this is not sponsored by Lego.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not sponsored by Lego. But guys, if you're listening, (laughs) we do. We really do love it. it's one of those things that I think it's guilt-free and so creative, mm. but mess-free as well, until they leave a block
1: on the floor and you stand on it, in which case, no, I don't like Lego. <laughs> I tell you what I find quite interesting is that Lego, as far as I'm aware, Lego seemed to have escaped the whole anti-plastic thing mm. because we're all so much better now. I buy so many more wooden toys. I really think about sustainability when I'm buying toys. But, you know, and I have heard people saying that, well, with Lego, it's a bit different because there's a real longevity, like, you know. Yeah. You know, genuinely, all of the Lego sets that my eldest has, she's sorting them out, and we will keep all of that Lego for my two youngest for when they're ready to play with it. So there definitely is a kind of, you keep it for years and years and pass it down and pass it on. But it's still really interesting that there hasn't been an anti Lego backlash yet? Who knows if yeah. it will happen? You've probably know. just started one, mate. There we go. The revolution <laughs> against it's Lego.
0: Revolution. No, no no, no, no. I'm taking. I know. I know. I'm cropping that. It's that you are quite right. My mm. kids have got Lego that I had when I was a kid. That's just been really? stuffed up in the, yeah. And Adam's mum, she loves to do Lego, so she gets the adult sets and things. Adam really loves yeah. to do Lego, and I think because it's something that's got such longevity, that's probably generation
1: Yeah, across yeah. the generations, and like I just love sitting on. Christmas Day, like you know, when my daughter gets a new set, and you can sit and do it together, I just have to stop myself from taking over and being like, yes. "No, no, no, I'm doing it.
0: This is how you do it." No, no, it was this bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't we all? I mean, there's nothing, and I'm the same with things like Sylvanian's and that kind of thing. If you of setting anything out, I would have to resist that temptation. Just be like, oh doesn't go
1: there can we just yeah no yeah so you really have to rein it in you've got to let them make their own mistakes and they'll learn that way (laughs) and that just little shop just will not look as good there as if you put it on the left I'm telling you no it really won't it really won't
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you have touched on briefly there that you have an age gap between yours so you have
1: 10 and then how old are your toddlers they're two and a half so my eldest had just turned eight when when we had her little sisters yeah 8 year age gap.
0: You've just mentioned that your eldest is putting away these Lego things that she doesn't necessarily want for her sister's ready. Have you found that happens quite a lot with her being quite considerate of them and that kind of thing? How have you found the bigger age gap?
1: Yeah, really good actually. It's something that I really worried about and fretted about because the reason that there's such a big age gap is because I had secondary infertility. My eldest was 3 when we decided, let's try and have a second because I had postnatal depression when she was a baby and I really really agonized over the whole kind of, should we have another baby? Am I strong enough to cope? You know, it was churning around in my head. I'd be pushing, you know, her along in the buggy, seeing, you know, other mums with two children and think, oh, look, she she's managing it. She's doing it, you know, maybe I can. And then I'd be like, have a bad moment. And I'd be like, no, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. Fast forward to um, when she was three and my husband and I were like, no, come on, we can do this. And if I get postnatal depression again, I will be straight to the GP and asking for help and support. And I know much more about it now. I think first time round, I just wasn't tuned into the whole motherhood chat in the same way that I am today, just because I'm surrounded by it. You know, on Instagram, everywhere, there's so much conversation around mental health and motherhood. But it kind of felt like that wasn't the case back then. So, yes, ended up taking five years to get pregnant and had two rounds of IVF. So by the time we had the twins, there was an eight-year age gap. And in all of that time, I really worried. And it's that classic thing of, you know, hoping that your period doesn't come. And every time it did come, just feeling like, A, oh, God, you know, crushing disappointment because I really want this baby. But B, that's, you know, another kind of extension on this theoretical age gap. And I really, really worried about it. and I needn't have because it was absolutely fine. And I know that there are absolutely benefits to having your children close together. And I've spoken to so many friends and, you know, mums and dads who've got really short age gaps and that really worked for them. For us, having an eight-year-old, when we had these two tiny newborn twins, who was able to, you know, if I was feeding them both at the same time, she could like, you know, run and fetch something. Or if I was like, oh, I haven't got a muslin and I'm feeding them and I need a muslin, can you can you run and get it? She would, there were times when, you know, They'd both be sitting, lying on a play mat And I would need to dash off, you know, to go for a wee And I'd say to my eldest, oh, can you just keep an eye on them Just for, you know, 30 seconds And I'd run upstairs and back down again So from that point of view, it was lovely And also, I think it must be quite hard for any child to suddenly have twins appear on the scene because Mm. there's that novelty factor and everyone's fussing around like you know we'd take them out in the the pram and like little old ladies would stop us in the shopping center and be cooing over them and you know chatting to us and she'd just be standing there kind of just being ignored you know (laughs) like what what am I chopped liver but I think that just being that little bit older she kind of got it and she understood and we could say Mm. to her oh look you know it's twins and people think it's really special but you're just as special as they are just because they're twins it doesn't make any real difference you know. It's hard isn't
0: it because whenever you have a new baby and I had this even I mean mine are really close together there's 19 months between Ruben and Toby and then there was two years two months between Toby and Edith so they are really close together and even then you'd notice that people would come round and it's almost like the older child is just totally forgotten and one of the things that I've always tried to do when friends have had babies is really make a fuss of their child. As well as the babies. The more people that I speak to who have bigger age gaps and have not necessarily had them by choice have found it really, like you say, really stressful and difficult because as soon as your baby is here, your new baby, you start with, oh, are we having another one? Mm. And I think, as you say, (laughs) you know, you had secondary infertility. It wasn't something that you could just say, oh yeah, we're going to have another one now. It was a real process for you. So how did you cope with that That pressure?
1: Really badly. For me, I think it probably started you know when my eldest probably hit around two because a two-year age gap is so common it feels like that's when you you know your head comes above the water again and you can breathe yeah catch your breath a little bit and I think for me the questions started asking then, and they're so well-meaning and it is friends just saying you know oh so you know do you think you might have another I started to really resent those questions and even though at that point, we weren't in that place yet because I didn't know if I was mentally strong enough. But that's a really hard conversation to have, especially when someone is just kind of making chit-chat. They're not there, you know, opening up a deep and meaningful conversation. It's really hard. You can't just be like, well, actually, the thing is, I really yeah. suffered with my mental health in the last year and I just don't know whether I'm... Like, it's just, it's not really the done thing to suddenly <laughs> just throw that into the conversation. I probably got quite snappy with friends, just in a quite a passive-aggressive way and I think I remember saying to a few friends you know you really you really shouldn't ask that question it's really not appropriate Aww. to be asked that question but with no actual explanation as to why I was yeah. being so defensive about it so they probably just think I'm a massive cow <laughs> you can't really blame people though can you and I
0: think we talk about a lot more not asking the question and being a bit more thoughtful before we pose those questions I have a friend she has made the decision that she only wants one and she actually faces quite a lot of kickback for it and people say oh they're gonna be so lonely without a sibling but nobody ever actually knows that that's a conscious decision and it is for her that's great that doesn't invalidate her conscious decision but I always think what if it wasn't and what if she was put in a position where you know that that wasn't actually her choice and she'd suffered through miscarriages Mm. and she was in a really dark place through it and then all of a sudden somebody pops up and goes they're gonna be so sad without a sibling I know you just think bugger up up.
1: yeah just (laughs) think my friend people don't think though and I think all of this stuff you know women you know what they do with their bodies Mm. um whether they're planning on having more children it's all kind of fair game it's seen as fair game in terms of just idle chit chat mm-hmm. and it really shouldn't be i remember when i was pregnant with twins i remember walking across the crossing towards the school gate and the lollipop lady was like oh was, was it natural was it natural oh like, hang on a minute, you're basically asking me if my husband and I had sex to conceive these (laughs) babies, or whether it was done in a hospital. Like, you know, I'm literally crossing the road as you're asking me this. So there isn't really the opportunity to really explain this to you. You know, it it was fine. She because she's she is lovely. I'm sure she won't be listening. But if she is, (laughs) she's lovely. Like you say, it comes in the most inappropriate of times.
0: And sometimes it comes when you're not mentally strong enough to answer the question. And sometimes it just comes when you just don't want to answer the question. And it's just not the time. So talk to me
1: about your book. It's all about your twins and your experience with twins, isn't it? OMG, it's twins is in a nutshell, it's a guide to the emotional roller coaster of having twins. There's loads of practical stuff in there too. But when I was pregnant with my twins, I looked around at what books were available. And there were so many brilliant books written by doctors and medical professionals, but I couldn't find anything that kind of was a bit of a handhold through the whole experience. So you know, it talks about like the emotions that you go through, the stress you might feel when you're thinking, what do I need to buy? And what do I need two of? And how are we going to fit all our children into our car? You know, we can't get three car seats in there. And, you know, all of that stuff, you know, so it's covering the practical, but it's also how that stuff makes you feel and how to deal with it and how to handle it when I was writing it I spoke to over 60 women a lot of which were experts like psychotherapists midwives doulas and also loads of twin mums who shared their experiences because in terms of you know what I can offer it's basically just my experience and yeah. there's so much that I didn't go through and so I really wanted to chat to as many twin mums to get you know as much helpful even just when you're reading about experience and you think oh I went through that too and that feeling of knowing that you're not alone you're not the only person to have experienced that I think there's a real value to that so yeah that in a large nutshell is what OMG it's twins is all about. How did you feel when you found out that you were pregnant with twins because obviously
0: you've been through this real journey to get there and I want to talk to you a bit about your experience with
1: IVF in a minute but actually how did you feel? Utter shock when we were told we were having twins at my 12 week's I just burst into complete uncontrollable giggles I just couldn't stop you know that nervous laughter you used to get when you were being told (laughs) off by a teacher and you knew that it was inappropriate but you just couldn't stop it was that and the main reason that we were so shocked was because six weeks earlier we had had a viability scan at the IVF hospital that we'd had Mm. the treatment at and when we'd had the IVF we had two embryos put back in so there was every chance that we might conceive twins and we went along for the six-week scan and the consultant who had done the procedure scanned me and said there you are there's there's the heartbeat there's the sack Mm. it's all all fine off you go so we basically thought it was one baby and for the next six weeks we had this lovely feeling of relief you know like Mm. we're so lucky that even now at six weeks we know that the baby's fine and everything's you know where it should be and everything's you know ticking along nicely so yeah when we got to the 12-week scan and we were told it's twins (laughs) we were like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it was a real kind of like shock you know just so many emotions were Through my mind. I've got two cousins who have had twins and they both had really high risk pregnancies, really like big complications, you know, scary stuff happening Mm. to them. And so I had that going around in my head. Plus I had the feeling of, oh my goodness, like it almost feels like you've won the lottery. It feels like. Yeah. We're getting two babies out of this. That's that's mind-blowingly incredible. It was just like every emotion that you can imagine.
0: <laughs> All wrapped into one. And that's so much, isn't it? Because like you say, it's really overwhelming when I think you find out you're pregnant anyway. And it's regardless of whether I think you find out you're pregnant and it's a bit of a shock being there, or you find out you're pregnant and it's something that you've actively been pushing and trying for, also being there. And I think <laughs> regardless of whichever one it is, there's a small part of you that goes, Huh, shit and just doesn't really know how to get and then there's another part of you that goes oh yay regardless and I think yeah. it's such a conflicting time so to almost have all those emotions swirling around and the fact that you're having twins and this is new to you you might have already had one baby but again it's new there's an age gap there so it's, it's a time ago that you did this it must have been such a overwhelming feeling
1: how did you
0: cope with it
1: I think just by chatting to my husband chatting to my friends just kind of acknowledging all the feelings and you know allowing myself to feel worried and a little bit stressed but equally it's fine to have those feelings alongside the excitement and you know the joy and also just by trying to be quite practical about it so feeling like let's just take it bit by bit so we were told at the 12-week scan that we would have to come back from 16 weeks we'd have to come back every two weeks for a scan so for me it was just a case of right let's just get all the appointments in the diary let's be really practical let's plan ahead as much as you can because there's so much that you can't necessarily plan ahead for yeah i think that that kind of helped you mentioned with your first baby you suffered with postnatal depression
0: how have you felt with twins that must have played on your mind whilst you were Pregnant.
1: And then, of course, when they arrive, how have you found your way? I really worried about it. But again, I kind of feel like worrying about it ahead of time isn't going to change anything. And if it happens, it happens, and I know what to do. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I had my first, I really was a bit clueless. And I did mention to the health sister that I was feeling a little bit, you know, rubbish but i think she kind of brushed it to one side and mm. so in experience i remember thinking oh well you know if she doesn't think there's anything to worry about then there mustn't be whereas now i would be like uh mm, no yeah um, don't can pass you... me off kind of thing yeah, exactly like can you listen to me and and hear what i'm saying here so Thankfully, I had a much easier time of it mental health wise this time around. I really remember the girls must have been about maybe only about six days old, and I remember sitting on the sofa watching Strictly Come Dancing just with tears flowing, just absolutely yeah. like, like but I i knew that that was like a sort of baby blues thing. I knew yes, the hormonal thing that, that does happen you know, when you're a baby or babies are a few days old, and I knew to be basically get the babies and do skin to skin with them so my husband helped like kind of like wrap us up in blankets mm. so that they were cozy and I was cozy and I just sat watching Strictly Come Dancing with my two babies you know doing skin to skin with them and I felt so much better so even just knowing little things like that helped massively and I think the second or third time around you know it just it, it feels easier because you do you do know that stuff i struggled a little bit when i stopped breastfeeding them after i think they were 10 months old when i stopped breastfeeding them and the dip in oxytocin levels that i experienced so when you're breastfeeding you're producing oxytocin yeah and- when you're breastfeeding twins, then the, your oxytocin levels are going to be higher. So the drop in oxytocin that I experienced when I stopped breastfeeding them just absolutely threw me and I probably had two months of just feeling really low and really like this isn't good. And I kind of knew why it happened, but it doesn't make it any easier when Mm -hmm. you're kind of every day waking up and just feeling like, oh, this is so hard. And you know, nothing brings me happiness. You know, that horrible feeling that you get. It's that black Um, cloud, isn't it? That just will not move and I got some CBT sessions on the phone didn't find them hugely helpful but it might have just been the kind of state of mind that I was in so I kind of took the bull by the horns and as soon as I realized what was happening I spoke to my GP and I got referred for these CBT sessions but thankfully at the point where I was deciding to give up on the CBT it started to lift anyway and my hormones started balancing out and I felt so much better I feel like compared to how I felt when I had my eldest that was Nothing. that was really manageable.
0: Do you feel like if you were to give someone a tip For dealing with that postnatal baby blues But also "Mm, is it baby blues Or is this something we need to take a bit more seriously Would you say that self-advocacy is such a huge part of it To really advocate for yourself and push for people to listen It is
1: but it's so hard Because Mm. you know whether it's your first baby or not You're in such a vulnerable place And your hormones and your emotions are all over the place Lack of sleep you know you're there You've maybe had if you're lucky you know a three hour block of sleep but let's face it that doesn't happen for many of us it's really hard to self-advocate especially when you're speaking to health professionals and they know what they're talking about and they're qualified in what they do and you're not qualified so yeah. it's so hard i think that's where online communities and in real life communities can really help because if you can ask around you know your antenatal group or friends people on instagram whoever it is and say look this is how i'm feeling what do you think what would you do that can just really really help
0: i think reaching out to your sort of outer outer group as well can be really useful i know after i had edith I had a I wouldn't have said it was postnatal depression but I certainly would have said I had a dip and I just felt like the baby blues lingered maybe a bit longer than they should have done and as you say it's that advocating for yourself is really difficult especially when you are speaking to healthcare professionals who it's not that they don't care it's that they see it day in day out and they talk to women day in day out who are feeling a bit blue and who are suffering with that maybe that drop in hormone levels as you say and it can be really difficult to sort of stand up and go, no, I really don't think anything's right here. I read something not so long ago that said, when you are a parent, you also need parenting. And I think it was in Philippa Perry's book of the book you wish your parents had read. And she said, when you are a parent, you need parenting yourself. You need people to come in and scoop you up. And it's finding that outer circle, be that online in groups that can lift you or be that within person. So moving away from that, Take me even further back to just before you had twins and talk to me about your experience with IVF.
1: I mean, I went to this gynecologist, I guess he was originally just because I think I basically had PMDD. So really, really extreme PMS over the last sort of eight or nine years, I have found that my hormone levels and my mood can just like dip at various points of the month. So I think I went to him originally because I wanted that sorted out. And during our conversations, I mentioned to him that we had been trying to conceive for, I think three years at that point. So his ears pricked up and he was like, oh, okay, so... We need to do something about that then. So I kind of feel like we started on the fertility journey by accident. It's not like we sat down and said, right, we need to go to our fertility doctor and get this sorted. It just sort of ended up rolling into that. So yeah, so he started off giving me Clomid. That didn't work. He gave me Tamoxifen. That didn't work. And then it was a case of, right, well, your only route left is IVF, which at that point, I remember thinking, oh, right, blind me. Are we, are we there already? Are we at, at the IVF thing already? Because that's, that's a really big deal. And we were seeing that doctor up until that point via the NHS. But he basically said, because you've already got a child, the NHS won't cover you having IVF. So we kind of had to go away and have a big conversation and be like, you know, can we afford this? Mm-hmm. So we, had, we went for it and we had one round of IVF at this private hospital and it was unsuccessful. And I cannot explain to you the emotional heartache and oh, it's just the most bizarre thing to have put so much into something that has got a really high chance of not working you know I think I was something like 38 at the time and when you look at the stats of you know how many 38 year olds manage to conceive via IVF versus how many don't it's quite depressing and it makes you think oh is there any point in doing this but yeah it's such a kind of intrusive invasive experience to the point where we kind of had to put our life on hold for the month that we were having the treatment because I had to go for scans every two days and because you have to inject yourself with these hormones and it has to be you know straight out the fridge same time every day I think within a 15 minute window I had to be the same so it's real kind of like this takes over your life for the month for the cycle that you are doing this obviously completely worth it but it's such a blow when you go through all of that and you've paid all this money and you're putting you know your heart into this all your hope Into this, and then it doesn't work. And I remember just feeling like it was absolutely crushing. It was just awful. And then at that point, we were like, well, we only had enough money for one round. And a few months went by, and a few different family members very very kindly said to us like you know if you want to do a second round we'll, we'll give you some money which is obviously hugely kind and we were very privileged that we were able to do that so we went for a second round and kind of went into it at that point went into it a little bit I guess without the kind of high hopes. so we kind of felt like it probably won't work again definitely had lower expectations but that time it worked and we ended up with two and so being a bit Scottish and tight, I thought, great we paid for two IVFs <laughs> and we got two babies, so we kind of got our money's worth. I love <laughs> that; that's, that's brilliant. brilliant. A normal way of looking at it. I, do you know? I'm honestly, definitely. I'm from Yorkshire, so quite frankly, that
0: sounds. <laughs> I was sat here thinking money's worth, but you can't say it. So
1: no, absolutely. I was 100%. like, I was like, okay. I feel I feel a bit less gutted that that first round didn't work because yeah. we ended up with two babies. <laughs> a
0: bit vindicated there. I mean, it must have been such a. A mixture of emotions and like you say I don't think people really realise unless they've been through the experience of IVF and I certainly wouldn't have realised quite how much it just hits a massive pause button on your life and then everything becomes about that the mental toll of that must be huge.
1: Yeah, it really, really, really was. And I found comfort in chatting to people who had been through it. Do you know Amber Wild? She's on yes. Instagram as Meet the Wilds. Really? She has got two sets of twins and a singleton all through IVF. And she was such a massive support to me. I remember like messaging her you know, and getting advice. And even when we had had our second round, there's this horrible wait. You've had the embryo or embryos put back in and you've got to wait two weeks before you can do a pregnancy test and it's agonizing because mm. you've gone from you know having scans every couple of days and being really kind of like busy and injecting yourself and you know there's loads to do and then you have this two weeks where you're just like you can do nothing apart from put your feet up and look after yourself and that's it and it's, and it's pretty so yeah texting her loads in that time there was a day kind of maybe 10 days into this wait and I had a bit of a bleed and I was like right well that's it then that's that's It all over you know that's my period coming and I texted Amber I was like Amber I think it's game over and she was like oh no because that's probably the implantation bleed and she was very matter of fact about it she was like oh my goodness congratulations you're pregnant that's amazing like literally I was in bed in the fetal position crying like oh it hasn't worked again and she was texting me going congratulations and she was absolutely right you know a few days later I did the pregnancy test and it was positive so I cannot you know emphasize enough how you Useful and helpful it is to have people around you who've been through it and who get it and can give you that kind of support that you need
0: and can be almost like a little bit of a cheerleader there whilst you're thinking the worst because you do I'm a natural pessimist I swear okay. I do it to protect myself from disappointment yeah. Yeah. And I think naturally, especially when you are so hopeful, if you're anything like me, you almost talk yourself through the worst case scenario and kind of expect that worst case scenario. So to have someone there who can look at it objectively and go, actually, no, don't think the worst. That could be an implantation bleed. I'm going to go with the fact that it's an implantation bleed. And I'm going to say congratulations to you yeah. to just lift you in that moment of despair. And that goes again, back to having the community and... And having the support of people who have been there and who yeah. know how you're feeling. It must have been incredibly frustrating for you to be sat there being told your only option now is to go through IVF. But because you have a child, you're going to have to find the money to foot for it yourself. How did you cope with that? I
1: kind of got it, to be honest. I mean, everyone's different and everyone's needs and that desire for another child is different. But I kind of felt like it was fair enough. They can't, I guess, be dishing out very expensive treatment to every single person who's struggling to to have a baby. So they've got to, I guess, draw the line somewhere. So yeah, I just dealt with it quite practically and felt like, yep, okay, you know, there's no point in us getting annoyed about that situation. Yeah. We're very lucky to have, have a child already. And yeah, focusing on that rather than getting annoyed about it. I
0: suppose that's the best way to look at it if you can, isn't it? Because you can't really change it. There's not a lot that you can do. And I've spoken to people before who've mentioned a sort of postcode lottery when it comes to IVF. Yeah. And again, that's a much more difficult scenario, I suppose, where you perhaps are told just because of the area that you're in, you don't qualify, yeah. even if you don't have children. So it's, it's a real... Oh, and I
1: I know someone i know someone who managed to have ivf because they pretended that they lived at their parents house ah. in the next borough wow <laughs> not it's... suggesting anyone tries that <laughs> i think it's technically
0: fraud um but subtly yeah. suggesting you try it because it's a really messed up system but not suggesting
1: it in case it oh, comes back to me legally but if you get caught then you probably are going to go to jail <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't think of it that way. But it it's, a, that's a messed up system, isn't it? That, you know, you can pretend to be in a different borough and bam you can have access to this treatment that realistically it, it kind of should
1: be out there for everybody it's tricky isn't it and I think that's just the unfortunate reality of the NHS and you know not having enough money not, not having enough funding mm. and it does vary from you know from trust to trust and borough to borough but it's hard when you're on the receiving end of that if you are being told you know you can't you can't have IVF by the NHS just because of where you live that's hard
0: yeah that is a sticky situation so you are. Now- now at the point where you have a 10-year-old and you have two toddlers. If your 10-year-old's anything like mine, there'll be sort of the beginning whispers of puberty and that kind of thing Mm, starting. The hormones are starting to (laughs) shift around. (laughs) (laughs) The hormones and we've had the puberty chat at school and it's kind of all, you know, little hairs are sprouting and starting (laughs) to talk about smelling and starting to talk about spots and all these things that, I'll be honest, I didn't expect to start to talk about or even think about. Until secondary school, but here we are. Bang, they're there. How are you finding dealing with those two totally different but also equally challenging phases? I
1: think it's at the fine. Same time? I think <laughs> Yeah. I've nothing to compare it to. So I don't know mm. what it's like for, you know, I'm guessing it must be similar to you in that you've got a 10-year-old who's going through all of that stuff, and you have younger kids as well. And so you're juggling all of their needs. Sometimes I feel a bit guilty because the twins are so labor intensive, I guess. You know, they take up so much of our time and attention and as you would expect they're very demanding as as toddlers quite often are and sometimes you know my 10 year old will come in the room and she'll be asking me a question or she'll be wanting to show me something and I have this toddler in my face just shouting at me and she might just be saying something like Mr. Tumble, Mr. Tumble, Mr. Tumble unless I turn (laughs) and acknowledge her and say yes Mr. Tumble she'll just keep saying it and I really feel bad because my attention gets taken away from my eldest quite Mm. a lot and I think she gets it I hope she gets it I feel like you know we'll say let's all go to the park because we know that you know our little ones will just love going to the park and at 10 my eldest is just getting to that point where Going to the parks Maybe a little bit boring Unless she's Mm. with her friends And she can run around And play with them It's a little bit boring So it can be hard as well Just to kind of Balance off activities And what we do with them Because they're just They're not into the same things Yeah of course A
0: friend of mine Who has twins She used to say I find it quite simple In the way that they Will entertain one another And keep one another occupied Do you find that with your twins Or do you think She's just really lucky I
1: think she'd be really lucky I think that (laughs) I'm I'm kind of hoping that that happens so i would say just in the last maybe three months my twins have almost noticed that their twin is there before yeah. that they were completely oblivious to their twin and they would just be playing side by side and living side by side tolerating the fact that there was this other toddler next <laughs> to them it's kind of weird And in the last few months they have started playing like they've started calling each other you know their each other by name oh. And if one of them starts running around The other one will start chasing And they start, you know, playing together and chasing And they'll tickle each other I'm kind of hoping that that then develops Into them taking themselves off to play together yeah. know, nicely Because that would be the dream If I can sit here with a cup of tea And read my book for 10 minutes While they're off playing in the kitchen or something That would mm-hmm. be the dream That would be <laughs> the goal I think people talk about
0: having that built-in best friend with a twin I don't suppose it always happens like, Do you find that they have quite different personalities? Or do you yeah, well, the they're not
1: identical yeah they're, okay. they're not identical so they're really they're just the equivalent of two siblings that happen to be born on the same day yeah oh no, there's no other link yes they may well end up being the best of friends like with your three Harriet, they're probably very different to each other and they'll have days where they're fighting loads and squabbling and what have you it's exactly the same so I'm kind of excited to see what it's like in a few years time like when they start school what are they going to be like what their little personality is going to be like like, are they going to be the best of friends or are they going to be quite happy to just ditch each other at the school gate and go and run to play with their own friends? Yeah. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see. So, I think as soon as you say twin, the assumption is that, you know, they're going to
0: be glued together and that they're going to be the best of mates. And Toby, my middle child, has a couple of friends who are twins and they're so different. They really are. They, you know, they're chalk and cheese. They like different things. Doesn't mean they're not in the same way that mine are there to, you know, love and support one another. Ruben's always said to me I saw Edith crying today Now they're in different Sections at school So they're in different Bubbles and different areas And they can't go to each other But he'll say Well I saw Edie's crying So I shouted over To make sure she was all right." Whereas before He would have Mm. run over To check on her But I think you know There is that element And Toby said to me Before he's seen someone Not be very nice to Ruben So he stood up for him And then simultaneously Come home and hit him Across the back of the head With a lightsaber (laughs) (laughs) So I think there is This misconception That twins will Automatically
1: just be Almost like the same person do you find people treat them like they're the same I think because they look so different as well Mm. I don't think they'll have that problem they're so different personality wise and they look so different I kind of think that they'll probably grow up not feeling like people are treating them you know as the same person I hope so anyway
0: yeah what kind of tips would you give to a new twin mum who's just thinking ah
1: just that ah (laughs) Yeah, we've all thought that, haven't we, you know, at various (laughs) points I would say, oh, be kind to yourself Get as much help as you can If anybody offers help, take it I spoke to one twin mum from my book And she was telling me that she was having such a bad day With them both just crying and crying and crying And she was in the garden And her neighbour kind of called over the fence to her And she ended up just, like, passing one of the twins over to her neighbour to hold And she had the other one And before long, I think they both stopped crying and it was just this lovely moment of actually you're there human being i am struggling here you are going to help me and it worked and i think it's that thing of not being afraid to ask for help even if it is your next door neighbor whoever it is it can be a real hard thing for some of us to learn to do because we're so used to being kind of independent women we can manage we can cope i know i found it really hard it was a real learning curve for me when i had my eldest never mind having twins i was very much kind of like no 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 i'll be fine don't worry about me when I had the twins I was just like yes thank you all the help <laughs> you'd learn you'd come it. to terms with the fact that you were going to have to ask for your village and Definitely. you
0: know put some feelers out there to see if you could get some help Definitely. So I ask all of my guests at the end of the podcast, what hack they would share if they had to share one mum hack. And we have had literally everything and anything that you can think of. So if you had one
1: hack, what would your life hack be for mums? My life hack is to mute everybody on WhatsApp. So... (laughs) I'm in, I'm in so many WhatsApp groups. I'm in my daughter's dance group. You know, the school mums. there's a class mums WhatsApp group. The only person that I haven't got muted is my husband. So if he WhatsApps me, it comes through as a notification. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, they're just there piling up. And it means my phone isn't like buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. And I'm not being yeah. distracted and getting into conversations about what's happening with the kids and you know, homework and oh, you know, what dressing up day is coming up next and all of that stuff. I can just come to it when I want to and deal with it and I can skip through the 400 messages that I've missed and just quickly scan and I just find that such you know a much better way to deal with the constant barrage of whatsapp messages when it comes to my kids.
0: That is such a good hack Alison honestly because I I mean I feel for Adam because he coaches Toby's football club so he's in like a manager's group Toby's group then an extra group for committee stuff and then he's also in a group for parenting and then he's in the group for the school and he is just in so many groups and i mean i'm in a lot but you do you get added to everything and whatsapp becomes that one platform doesn't it where it's constant and there's always somebody that feels like they need something from you and
1: and that's 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 important to them at that point but it doesn't have to infiltrate your day it doesn't have to distract you from what you're doing you know and consume consume you You know completely i think it's good to be able to dip in and out of that when you choose to it minimizes the stress definitely
0: so tell listeners where they can find you
1: and what you've got going on at the moment where they can find your book and that kind of thing well yes omg it's twins is available on amazon and from you know all the usual bookshops you can find me my blog is notanothermummyblog.com on instagram and twitter i am I am Alison Perry and my podcast is Not Another Mummy Podcast and you can download that from wherever you download your podcasts from.
0: Amazing. Well, Alison, thank you so much for taking the time. It's going to be a chat that's really, really helpful for anybody who finds themselves in a similar situation to you. And yeah,
1: thank you. Thank you so much, Harriet. It's been so lovely to chat to you. Bye. Bye. Bye.